to another episode of The Coop. Today I'm reporting to you on a very rainy day in February, a very cold day in Feb. Um, if you can hear thudding in the background, my sincerest apologies. That is my sister playing the drums. Unfortunately, my room is not soundproofed. Um, guys, <laughs> I've been in the mud lately, in the absolute mud. Um, you know, I have a couple of exploration of episodes lined up in my notes app, ready, ready to be explored with you. But honestly, I just feel, I feel we need a bit of, a bit of a catch up. I feel we need a bit of a, what's been happening. Um, cause things took a turn. Things took a turn for the worse, unfortunately. But I mean, I honestly think we saw this coming. Like, let's be so real about it. The, th- ever since the episode relapse came out, um, it's just been me in a constant state of denial already. But anyway, we're going to get on to it. First of all, talking about my setup, I've got a new on-air sign in my room, which when you plug it in, lights up red. And it just looks so cool. I know no one can see it and no one cares, but I'm just feeling really fancy right now. And it's really, really cute. And it's like right above Billie Eilish's face. So like, what more? What more could you want, to be honest? What more could you want? But let's kick off the episode with um, a little story time I have for you, which will link into me being in the mud lately but I have a story time so it centers around this fear of makeup I guess or or more so the usage of makeup for me I've always been so terrified of wearing makeup in case it would make me insecure to go without it like if you've listened to the episode growing up and maybe even an exploration of identity You would have heard it in more detail, but I prevented myself from wearing makeup for so long because I hated the fact that I'd become insecure of how I'd look without it. Like, a big reason for me repelling makeup till I was 17? Oh my god, literally till I was 17, that's humiliating. Um, Now you see these kids are like, who are 10, walking into Sephora, wanting the whole shop. Are you joking? I didn't wear makeup till I was 17. Anyway... Um, but a huge part of me repelling that was because number one, I just didn't care about how I looked. I was like, I really do not care. Um, but also number two, it was more so the theory that if I never wore makeup, then the only way was up for me. Like my appearance could only get better. So I was like, okay, yeah, technically I'm walking around looking disgusting. Like everyone can take the piss out of me for it. Or like, you know, like that kind of paranoia at school where you're like oh is everyone talking rubbish about me I mean maybe people don't have that paranoia but obviously it's kind of ingrained in me um and I just thought you know what at the end of the day if people are laughing at me I'm I'm standing there laughing with them like I would laugh at me I just don't I don't look good but I just didn't care like I didn't care because I was like none of them have seen me at my full potential yet I was like if everyone sees me at my lowest possible potential then I I can understand why they would be laughing at me. And not that anyone did laugh at me, at least, or if they did, I'm not aware of it. But the thought process was if I'm, I can, I, I can resonate with them laughing at me because I agree, this is the lowest I could possibly look. This is like me on 0% right now, which is why I didn't want to wear makeup. Cause I was like, then when I, if I do ever have a social life, even though at that point I was a ghost and anorexing myself around, I was like, if I do ever go out socializing and I do wear makeup, people are immediately going to be like, wow, she actually looks okay. Like, she actually looks relatively lively. So I thought, what a win. 
what a win that I can have that ability to shock people that maybe I can actually look decent. So that's why I didn't wear makeup. But because of that, like, but because of the fact I did walk around a whole year looking like a ghost and looking a bit, mm, um, I feel like that's honestly why I've been able to open up so much on the podcast. For the majority of my first year in sick form, I was just a, just not there. Like, I... I was at this lowest potential. I was at 0%, right? So, because most people who listen to this are probably people from my school, it means that because you guys have seen me at my literal worst, like, like, like my literal, like that, if I were to look back on my life and be like, okay, what is one dodgy time in my life? Like, what is one time I wish no one could have experienced and seen? It was that period of time that everyone experienced and saw. So because of that, I kind of have this um, invincibility, I guess, with the podcast where it's like, I really feel so fine to say everything and anything because number one you guys can't see me so that's lovely um but also number two I'm like you've already seen me at my worst so that's very much exposing in itself like that's the very vulnerable to me that you've all seen me looking how I did you know um and I was actually thinking about this the other day but the distinction between the body and the voice is so huge like when someone sees you there's so much more room for vulnerability and almost judgment I feel but with the voice there seems a little more safety there seems a little more security with someone just hearing my voice over someone seeing me for example like with a phone call or a podcast I feel like there's a layer of hiding you can seek refuge in you know, when I tell you guys a story, you can't read my body language or see my facial expressions. And I almost feel like because of that, like because I know I have an element of hiding, I'm able to be more honest with you. And it's like that with my friends on phone calls as well sometimes. Like, I know it's like that with therapy a little bit. Well, back when I had therapy, I was able to open up a lot more on a phone call because there was this element of hiding. It's like, okay, well, at least I can't see your reaction and you can't see mine. Do you know what I mean? I was like, okay, I'm happy to to kind of tell you how I feel because I could just hang up. <laughs> or I could just be so feeling so awkward and exposed behind the phone, but you can't see that. So therefore it feels less vulnerable for some reason, even though it wouldn't have made a difference. Like the only difference in vulnerability is someone seeing my body like bodily reaction and someone not so I guess you could say it's a little ironic that when I have a choice to hide through this podcast through the fact that you can't see me um I choose to expose myself instead <laughs> I choose to really really open up to you guys and you know my parents really do worry about this but at the end of the day it's nothing I feel exposed by like, if there's something I don't want to tell you, then I won't tell you. Do you know what I mean? Anyway, I'm tangenting now. The point I was making was that I find the visual appearance so exposing. So as I've started wearing makeup, I've began to feel a lot of comfort and dependency on it because it acts as this place of hiding, I guess. Like, that same kind of layer of hiding that I feel via a phone call or a podcast, I find that security in my visual appearance through makeup. And what's really sad about this dependency I have is that I've now become the very thing I didn't want to become, which is insecure about my natural appearance. The whole entire reason I avoided makeup in the first place is because of this 
theory of the only way is up. It's because of this theory of being like, well, if I can own myself, if I can completely rock the look of no makeup and looking like like zero effort into my visual appearance, like no jewelry, literally just jeans and hoodie, not barely brushed hair. Like if I can rock that look, which I did for the majority of year 12, then in my head, I was like, technically, this is the most confident I will ever be and the most, uh, I guess, self-loved I will ever be because even at my absolute lowest, I don't care how I look. And like, I don't care how other people perceive me. Like, I feel very secure in myself. So that's what, that was like kind of the, the psyche, I guess, behind not wearing makeup was like, I don't want to feel insecure about this natural me, if you will, like completely no makeup, no jewelry, like kind of just straight out of bed me, you know? I was like, I don't wanna feel insecure about that because at the end of the day, that's then I'll just become, become insecure about me at my most authentic appearance. But what happened a couple of weekends ago now has, made me discover the extent of my dependency on makeup. It's made me discover what an insecure little bean I am. So let me take you back. Let me take you back to a Friday night, okay? Friday night a couple a couple weeks ago. I set my alarm for 4.50am, the, the time I wake up on Saturday mornings to start work at the BBC. And you know, I go to sleep and have a merry, merry rest. Until all of a sudden, I hear a knock at my door. I hear a nickety knock at my bedroom door, and my eyes snap open in confusion, and a voice goes, Hen, what are you doing at seven o'clock? Oh my god, guys, the panic. The panic, for that is the voice of my father. That is the knock of my father's hand on my door, on my bedroom door, at seven o'clock in the morning, the exact time I'm meant to be in central London at the BBC starting work. Oh, guys, I can't even express the terror that trembled through my body, the absolute terror. You know, there I was in my in the comfort of my little bed. And lo and behold, I was meant to be an hour away in Oxford Street, sitting at a computer starting work. Whew. So when I tell you I became Usain Bolt for 10 minutes, I am telling you. I became Usain Bolt for 10 minutes because by 7.10 a.m. that morning, I was dressed, I had my bag packed, I had washed my face and put my contact lenses in, and I was out the door. I was out of there. I was skedaddled, hopscotch out the out of there in my dad's car who kindly drove me to the train station. Couldn't ask for a more blessed parents. So sweet of him for doing that. And on the train, there I was putting on putting on all my jewelry. I, I put my hair in a ponytail. I was like, okay, like I brushed my hair, put it in a ponytail. I was like, okay, that looks like semi-decent. Um, I remember like when I pack, packed my bag, I literally just got my jewelry box and threw it in my bag. I was like, boom, like you can't, you can't take the jewelry out of the gal. Like I, if I'm not jingling jangling around the BBC, what am I doing there? <laughs> so there I am putting on all my necklaces, like my eight necklaces, my eight bracelets, my eight rings having a fun time, putting in my earrings. I do my jewelry and hair and I go back to do my makeup, but alas, alas, the black goop needed 
to make me feel good is nowhere to be seen. Nowhere to be seen. And here, here it is, here it is, my realization that I was deeply, deeply insecure, a deeply insecure little girl because I, I was lost, I, I, I felt so lost, genuinely so lost. I fully sat there for about two minutes, which doesn't seem long, but in the grand scheme of things, it's a very long time, and really analysed what I was going to do, knowing that I had no makeup in my bag. I was like, oh my gosh, I can't turn up for work like this. I can't turn up for work looking like this. I simply can't. I said, I look like a prepubescent boy. There's absolutely no way I'm walking into the BBC. Look, I'm, I can't greet guests like this. No, no, no. I sit there in two minutes panic, and I'm like, I just don't know what to do. I even considered, guys, I even considered asking other females, other women on the train, and asking if they had makeup in their bag. I literally was looking, look how deranged this is. I was looking at their bags to see how big their bags were to judge if they were carrying makeup with them or not. Majority had no bags. The other majority had like sport bags with hockey sticks poking out. And I was like, well, I really doubt you're going to have makeup in your bag. Um, so that wasn't an option either. And also I did feel a little uncomfortable at you know, probably, probably working at like 7.30am in the morning now, 7.45 in the morning, felt a little uncomfortable asking a random stranger to use their mascara, so not an option, but you know what's, but what was so heartbreaking about this was that I packed my makeup remover, and I packed cotton pads, like I packed everything to remove the gloop off my face, but I didn't pack the goop itself, so upsetting, so upsetting, so I do, I do descend into a bit of a frenzy, because I'm like, now I'm not only late, but I'm also barefaced, I'm also barefaced, and, and, and I'm embarrassment, I, I'm an embarrassment, I can't possibly walk into work like this, so I stick, I stop and think, hmm, okay, okay, this isn't so bad, there'll be loads of cosmetic shops, like, for god's sakes, I'm going to Bond Street slash Oxford Street, like, the amount of cosmetic shops, the amount of shops on those two streets, I will be sorted. There will be a, a Boots or a Superdrug or a John Lewis or something where I can buy makeup from. You know how ridiculous this is? Guys, I don't know if you know how expensive makeup is, but it's expensive. Considering it's a tube of black stuff to just make your eyelashes longer, why am I spending like 20 quid on that sometimes? Like 15 to 20 quid. That's a joke. Um, but I really was considering buying a whole brand new mascara that very morning just so I could feel good good about how I looked going to work. Isn't that silly? So I think let me sacrifice time. Let me sacrifice a little bit of time and walk around Bond Street to get this mascara. That's how much I cared about my physical appearance. Despite me crying in the morning about being late for work, I thought, hmm, I can afford to be late by another five to ten minutes due to me finding makeup to look pretty. However, however, my friends, I hadn't considered opening hours. I hadn't considered the minor issue that it was 8am by this point and no shops open till nine. So I get off at Bond Street only to face <laughs> these slight discrepancies. And then anxiety hits me all over again because I'm like, oh my God. Like, now my master plan has gone down the drain. There's nowhere to buy makeup from. I truly, and I'm late for work, like, I need to get to work. And I'm, I, I just face the music and dance. I'm like, I'm going to have to turn up with a bare face. So 
I arrive at 8.15, which can I say is pretty good going. I wake up at seven, out past by 7.10, get to the beeps at 8.15, go me. Like doing well for myself here at this point. It was quite impressive. It was quite an impressive scramble. I mean, I probably could have shaved that down to about 8.10 if I didn't have a little five minute wander around Bond Street trying to find a super jug. But got there at 8.15 and I go to the toilets and I'm kind of rifling through my pencil case and I'm like, okay, what can I do here? What can I do? Is there anything I can use to just spark up my appearance? And I see, no, this is so humiliating. This is actually humiliating. Um, Of all things on the podcast, I think this is genuinely one of the most embarrassing, but I find a black colouring pencil. No, I'm embarrassed for myself. I find a black colouring pencil in my pencil case and I'm like, okay, eyebrow pencils are cute. (laughs) So I run it under the tap and fill in my brows, which to be fair, doesn't look that bad. It really doesn't look that bad. Um, obviously it was a little dark, the shade was a little dark, but I didn't go heavy with it. I was like, I'm not about to paint these brows on a look like a freak. Um, I kept it natural guys, don't you worry. So I no longer had half brows, but I had a a full eyebrow again, which is wonderful. So that was, you know, me 50% feeling better, but it was the whole, the fact that my eyes just dissolved into the rest of my face, they didn't pop out because my eyelashes were non-existent. So <laughs> I literally get out of the toilets and as I get out of the toilets I see one of my work colleagues and I'm like oh no I'm so embarrassed I'm literally there like covering my face I'm like I can't do this and he thought I was just stressed about being late and I was like no I look like a prepubescent boy like I look terrible and he was like you're fine like you look fine and I was like no I don't no I don't I'm so humiliated I'm so embarrassed I actually can't go and by the way guys I have no female colleagues I have no female workers so it's not like I could ask them for makeup no 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 this was a solo a solo issue um so anyway I you know go to my computer start work <laughs> and then I go into the studio and see one of my other work colleagues and I'm like listen I don't even want to talk about it I look so bad I'm, I feel so insecure right now and my body language was all I was really hunched like really trying to hide into myself I was like I'm so embarrassed and my work colleague was so lovely he literally just looked at me and he was like you know what I didn't even notice he was like I literally didn't even notice that you haven't got makeup on he was like you look no different to how you did last week and I was like oh Thank you for saying that because I feel so insecure right now. I was like, that's so sweet. Thank you. So that made me feel a lot better. And the rest of the day went smoothly. Like the rest of the day went well. Obviously I apologized for my lateness. Everyone was so lovely about it. Like genuinely, everyone was so sweet. And I just completely forgot about the fact that I wasn't wearing makeup. Like I greeted guests. They probably were a bit like, oh gosh, she looks a bit tired today. But you know what? No one said anything. And I completely forgot about it. Until I like went until I went home and then was like to my parents, oh gosh, yeah, I just remembered, had a whole panic this morning, because I don't have any makeup on and it was really stressing me out. And then my whole family literally looked at me and were like, wait, you don't have makeup on? I said, no. They said, you don't look any different. I was like, guys, stop it. So I mean, we can take this two ways. We can either take it as where it's like, okay, I really don't need to be insecure about how I look without makeup, which is the way I took it. And if I really wanted to be a little bit you know annoying and anxious about it I could be like oh well then clearly I look a bit crap when I have makeup on if no one even notices but I'm not taking that way I'm taking it as an absolute win an absolute win but it really highlighted this whole predicament really highlighted that this whole barefaced stress I had wasn't even a problem wasn't even a problem it was a whole stress that I didn't need to have 
Like, number one, wearing no makeup shouldn't make me feel insecure. And number two, being anxious about how I look is a waste of my time. Because it's never that deep. Nobody noticed. And also, but more importantly, even if people did notice, nobody would care. Like, people didn't employ me. These people didn't employ me because I wore mascara. They employed me because they say I'm good at the job. So why was I acting like wearing makeup was the be all or end all for me? Why was I acting like that was the main problem, not me being an hour late? Like, it's actually a joke when it comes down to it. And it's so funny to see how reliant I've become on it because I was always someone who really just didn't give two craps about how I looked, really didn't care to the point like an unbelievable amount of I didn't care. And I kind of wish I could go back to that time a little bit. Like, obviously I don't want to go back to who I was in year 12 because she was a bit dead. Um, But just for that, the attitude of really not caring what people thought and like being so secure in my natural appearance, I kind of loved it for her. Like genuinely, I kind of did something with that. Like the way I really couldn't have cared less about how I was perceived by others and couldn't have cared less about my appearance you know what? I applaud her for that. Despite all despite all my faults in 2021 and 2022, you know what? Despite all my faults over the past four years, I do applaud her for that. Um, but I think what this also taught, like this whole little predicament also taught me was that I should wear makeup for myself and because I like it, not because it's the only way I can see myself as visually acceptable. Like, what deems me, I don't know, what deems me pretty or not shouldn't be the black gloop I have on my eyelashes. You know, and also I think I was, I think, you know what it was? It kind of taps into self-worth as well. I shouldn't only see myself as valuable or as more valuable if I wear makeup. Like, regardless of how I look visually, I should still see myself as worthy and I should still have confidence in who I am. Do you know what I mean? So anyway, that's a very long roundabout way of venting about how I find safety and refuge in makeup. When in actual fact, I should find just as much security without it. But to bring you up to date with how this little story links to where I've been lately. <laughs> oh, Oh, okay. Um, so I don't really know where to begin. So I've been in the mud. I've been in the mud lately. I'm not sure how much detail I want to go into just because as much as I was banging on about earlier, um, about the freedom I feel in exposing myself on here, I'm also aware that putting all my thoughts out into the open, especially since I don't really have the value of hindsight, I guess, um, that's not that, I can see how that's not the smartest thing for me to do. But you know what? You know what, guys? For the sake of honesty, honesty and the sake of sharing, let me briefly touch upon what's been happening right now. So as we know, we're not blind to the fact that I was subject to a cheeky relapse a while back with anorexia. If you're not aware, listen to the episode entitled Relapse. It could give you some nice context. But to really sum it up for you, I'll just do a really quick run through debrief. Uh, basically, I had anorexia since... God knows. Since maybe 2020? 2021. Like, 2020 is when it was an eating disorder. And then 2021 was when it 
like morphed into anorexia. Then 2022, I was put under the care of CAMS. I was discharged in 2023. So summer 2023, I was discharged. Genuinely very healthy in 23. Like I, being discharged was one of the best things that happened to me because it really forced me to take responsibility for myself. And it forced me to actually prove that I could be better and that I was better and that I was recovered in quotation marks. And I wanted to prove that to my family. I wanted to prove that I didn't need a meal plan. I wanted to prove that I could go on holiday with my friends and be responsible. I wanted to prove that I could exercise and it not be a toxic thing. So that was all very, very well and dandy. And then it hit September, October. I fall into a bit of depression because obviously I'm not doing anything. Like I'm just sitting around at home all day. Um, Because this is before I have any jobs or really anything happening. And all my friends are going to uni, finding new friends. It just felt like a very lonely time. This is also when death is on my mind, which we get into in an exploration of fears. Um, and then in November, I get a job at a cafe, which honestly has just wrecked me. Just wrecked me. But the point is, is I'm using the cafe as an excuse for my relapse. But I think realistically, this relapse was always going to come. It's just the cafe was an easy way for me to, uh, I guess, trigger that, if that makes sense. So I have this cafe job, it's horrendous, like out of eight hour work days, it's only like a 10 minute lunch break. And because I never wanted to ask my bosses to make me feel like, they could have made me a sandwich, but I didn't feel comfortable asking them, I was like, I don't want to be a bun. So I'd end up just having a croissant for lunch. I just end up not eating very much, basically. And at this time, guys, I have bowel issues, okay? Okay, like, let me just be so real about it. I do get constipated ever so much. I don't drink enough water, that's a problem that I do need to work on. Um, But at this time as well, I was getting really, really constipated, like five days constipated. Pretty much every other week, it was so annoying that I genuinely just wasn't hungry. I genuinely wasn't hungry because I had five days of food stored in me. So the under eating mixed with the constipation just ah, meant anorexia had a great, a great way of telling me, oh, you're not hungry. And just a great a great opportunity there for me to restrict food. And then when I quit the job, I kind of, like, in my head, I was like, well, it makes sense to quit anorexia. Like, I was like, you know, now that the job's ended, we can eat what we want and we can be happy and we don't, we no longer have to be depressed. Like, the whole reason we were depressed is because of this job. So now we don't have to be depressed. And genuinely, that worked a little bit. It worked a little bit. Like, I left the job and I felt so much happier. And over Christmas, I felt good. And then I don't, but it's just not that simple. I don't know why. I really don't know why, but these thoughts kind of crept back in January, but not even negative. Ugh, this is where we, this is where it gets a little bit tricky to explain to people who don't understand because it's really confusing, but this is where the neg- the bad thoughts kind of crept in again. And not bad in the sense where it's like they were making me sad. It was just bad in an anorexic way which I'll get on to explaining. But in January, my bowels re-regulated themselves. Thank the Lords. Thank the Lords, because I cannot be dealing with that constipation. I did not want chronic constipation, which I really thought was where we were going in November and December. Anyway, January, my body is back to normal. New year, new body. New year, regulation. Um, and I think what happened is the effects of under-eating in November and December had kind of come through in January like I lost weight in January I would say as a result of what was happening in November and December but the issue here is that obviously obviously me having my brain 
didn't think it was an issue. I was like, well, that's not really a problem because I didn't, like, I'm not actively planning on losing weight. I just genuinely was depressed and took it out on myself by not eating. I was in depress. I was depressed, wanted a bit of pity, like, was just drowning in self-pity and thought, let me be anorexic as well. Let me really feel bad for myself by just screwing my life up. So that was November and December. Oh my gosh. Parents are going to get so mad at me saying this, but it's fine. They already know. Um, so January, when I really am happy, like I'm genuinely happy. I love both my jobs. I'm in a good place with all my friends. Just in a really happy place mentally. I know that I've lost weight, but I'm not, I don't actively try and put it on again. Because in my head, I'm like, I'm not anorexic. Like I'm not restricting food. Like I'm eating what I want when I want. I just don't want a lot of food. Do we see where this is going? So like, don't get me wrong, I'd have my three three meals a day. But it's just, I used to have a little snack as well. That started to go. That started to be cut out. Because, but it wasn't even me being there like, oh, I don't want to eat this because it makes me feel bad. I don't want to eat this because I feel guilty. It was genuinely just a thought of, oh, I'm not actually hungry. Like, I'm good. I'm good to just wait till dinner. And that is really, truly how I felt. But obviously that probably underneath it all was an anorexic control mechanism like that probably was restriction coming through so we get to the end of January and I'm having a talk with one of my old teachers because I love her and she's a little therapist for me now that I'm not in therapy so we're having a little catch-up and she says you know how are you and I'm like genuinely really well genuinely I'm really really happy I was like however the long story is that I'm not I, there's just, I'm just not sure. Like, I don't, like, maybe the long story is I'm okay, question mark. So anyway, she sits me down on a bench and she's like, what's up? What's been happening? And I tell her, I'm like, if I'm completely honest, I think I'm relapsing in anorexia a little bit. And she, <laughs> she just looks at me and she's like, oh, Helena. She's like, oh man. She's like, girl, why? And I was just like, you know what? I don't know, I don't know, because I really am happy, but I don't even know if relapse is a strong word for it, but then I had this thought, like, before I went and saw her, I did, I was thinking, like, it was on my mind a lot, I was, because I was questioning it, I was like, am I relapsing, am I not, and one night, it, it really just hit me, and I was like, it's not a question of if I'm relapsing, it's a question of if I want to get help, and an anorexic being an anorexic, obviously, I don't want to get help, but it's not that I wanted to screw up my life, it's more that I wasn't feeling any of the negative repercussions of anorexia, which is why, which is why things just got so out of control so quickly, like, this past week, because I was in this sweet spot, which is what I was explaining to my teacher, I was like, it's so hard, like, I know I need help, and I know that everything you say, I've already told myself. I'm like, I am self-aware. I am aware of what's happening here. I am aware that it's not going to be perfect forever. But right now I'm in a sweet spot where this sounds so narcissistic and self-involved, but I like the way I look. I feel good in my body. I love my jobs. I love everyone, all my friends, all my family, all my people in my life right now. I'm very, very happy so what like needs to change like I'm not gonna cut out any more food because I don't want my energy levels to drop like I, I'm genuinely just good like I'm in the sweet spot I'm kind of in a gray area and this is great and my teacher just goes okay but you're not feeling any of those negative repercussions 
yet. And that was an eye-opener for me because that was a possibility that I didn't consider. Like, even though I knew, obviously, anorexia is anorexia. Like, it's always a downward spiral. Like, with anorexia, there isn't such thing as a grey area. There just isn't. Um, because I was in the grey area, I just got a bit complacent and thought that it could last forever. So, lo and behold, I'll take you to, like, two weeks ago where it all just went a bit wrong. It just went a bit wrong and I... And I did start to cut out more food and then I did start to get stressed and I did start to get panicked about eating more and my energy levels did drop and then I was late for work. Now, whether my alarm never went off or whether I slept through it because I was so tired and underfed, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I accidentally turned my alarm off or what happened. I don't know. But the point is, is that being late for the BBC that Saturday was a massive wake-up call for me. Like, that fear of thinking, oh shit, this, like, this is something I really care about and it can be taken away just like that. Oh, oh, lads, 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 lads. That was a, that was a kick up the ass. That was a wake-up call. Now, of course, the story goes with anorexia. No matter what wake-up call you have, no matter how much fear you might feel or no matter how dead you might feel, you wake up the next day and that fear goes and that kind of wake-up call goes because that's just how it works. So then that week, the week after this whole BBC debacle, I get weighed again and my weight goes down badly this time. And then I do panic and I'm like, oh, shizzle sticks. This is really bad. Um, Now, this is where it gets a little bit, mm, because I don't want to give, I don't want to say too much. Um, I know that my parents will already be fuming about how much I have said on here, but uh, it basically goes down by a bad amount that could seriously affect my work, which I I hate not being able to explain, but I just shouldn't. I know I shouldn't. I'm not going to go into too much detail about it. And I proceed to have a, I leave the doctors and I proceed to have a panic attack and I'm like, oh my God, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What am I going to do? Again, a massive wake up call. Like that was a huge slap in the face where it's like, and this affected my other job. Um, not that we've seen my other job. So I was like, oh my gosh, I've had two wake up calls. Like the universe is actually trying to tell me something. So I've had two wake up calls now. One is the slap in the face I got on Saturday morning when I was late for work and you know, metaphorically that's how it feels to have the BBC taken away from me and number two now I'm having another slap in the face with this weight going down and it possibly affecting my second job by ending that so that's the situation (laughs) that's why I've been in the mud but it's it's not a simple fix it's not as easy as I thought it would be which is always the case with anorexia and the things with cheeky Annie, is that you you never know how deep you are into it until you have to challenge it. And it sounds stupid because obviously I've been through this all before, but it's every single time I fall into these anorexic habits, I never realise how deep I am into it because I haven't had to go against it. Do you know what I mean? Like in January and February, I, you know, I kept saying, oh, am I relapsing? Oh, but I'm not that bad. I'm not bad enough. I'm not bad enough. The mere fact I've had to say I'm not bad enough shows that something is bad. The mere fact I've written down bad 
next to anorexia and in the context of anorexia means that it is bad and also because who was I comparing myself to oh I was comparing myself to the anorexic version of me like the version of me that was at death's door so of course I'm not going to be as bad as that because that was literal death but if I compare myself to someone healthy then it's like oh honey you are relapsing that's not even a question that's not even in doubt here so yes I got back from the doctors and I had a conversation conversation with my parents and they were genuinely so lovely like couldn't have sorted me out more were very very supportive I honestly much love to them um really really grateful so they saved my ass a little bit and the deal kind of is it's like I have a month to put on weight before things escalate basically and it's not been easy guys it's not been easy if I'm gonna be completely transparent with you here it's been really difficult like I was saying I didn't because January and February I was what I thought was me listening to my hunger cues so dumb isn't it when you look at it in hindsight but what I thought was kind of maybe I did know it was was restriction but I didn't think it was destructive restriction I just thought okay cutting out biscuit like isn't gonna kill me like it's so it's so fine because I was restricting and I wasn't going against it like I wouldn't be like oh Helena go and get that biscuit like I wouldn't do that I wouldn't go against the anorexic thoughts it meant that I of course I was happy because I was pleasing the little poison in my brain whereas now obviously I still have those thoughts and it's like please don't get a biscuit please don't have a pudding please don't get a second helping now I'm having to challenge all that and I'm getting the biscuit I'm getting the pudding I'm getting the second helping oh my god has my mind never been so unhappy and it always happens that like after this massive blip like this this week where I got weighed after I did get weighed I felt good to eat because I was like I need to like I felt very motivated because I was like I have to I need to and then just like how it's always been in the past you know 24 hours later all that motivation goes because it's like well I don't need to anymore like I did for one day and like even though one day is not enough I was like okay but it's kind of scary like I don't want to do this anymore don't want to do this I'm chickening out quite frankly I'm signing off for the day but I can't do that I can't do that this time because I've really got to be responsible responsible for myself like I don't have therapy this time I don't have cams to support me I don't have a support system in place so it really is up to me to fix this because otherwise I'm just going to screw up my life and everything that I've worked so hard for and everything I'm really happy about in my life I'm just going to lose so it really is I have to view it holistically and I think this is what I was I think this is the thing like I got so wrapped up in focusing on exactly what I was eating and focusing on everything very day by day almost like very much like hyper fixating on the food I was eating in a day but one of my friends messaged me and she was talking about how happy she is in life like when she really takes a step out of the present and looks and observes about her life holistically she was like wow I'm so lucky like I love everyone and everything about my life right now why am I letting one person ruining it or why am I letting one thought in my head ruin it you know and I was listening to this voice note of her and it just oh sparked some tears in me genuinely moved me to tears and I was like you know what there's so much truth to what 
she was saying. It was just, I don't know if she's the right way of saying, of putting it, but there was so much value to what she was saying. I was like, wow. If I view my life holistically right now, I love my jobs, I love my friends, I love my people. So why am I hyper fixating on how terrible my brain is? Like, why am I hyper fixating on how miserable I think I'm gonna be if I gain weight? That just seems so illogical. And what a waste of time as well. Guys, I could honestly sit here and talk about anorexia for days with you all, for absolute days, because I can't stress enough how unworth it is. And after having this panic attack and being so scared to put on weight, like the first three days were really difficult. Like the first three days I had big, massive breakdowns, which I haven't had since, uh, since my September and October blip of thinking about death, but before that, since anorexia, like proper anorexic days. And they were very familiar breakdowns, like sobbing because I felt so uncomfortable in my body because I hated how much I was eating because I was no longer hungry for breakfast, lunch or dinner because I was, didn't, you know, didn't want to bring down the vibe of the family again. Like I didn't want to put that stress on my parents again. And I think as well, everything was so caught in my head. Like my head is an actual war zone at the moment. Like it's very, oh girl, you do not want to be caught in a crossfire in there. It's very much like people screaming at each other. And I think having all of that internalized and not being able to speak about it in therapy and feeling that alone, feeling so alone, I was just in an absolute spiral and I was really not doing well. And I was so scared of everything, of my happiness. I was so scared of my happiness leaving again because I was like, I am happy and I do love my life and I love the way I look. I'm scared of all of that going and I'm scared of being miserable because that's what happens when I gain weight. I no longer like how I look and I'm miserable. And hearing this friend and her voice note, and just hearing how she viewed her life in a third perspective, it really made me realise how minor this issue is. Like, you're telling me, if I look at my life holistically, and everything's fantastic and brilliant, and I'm so happy, but the one thing that's niggling me is this voice inside my brain, then why am I paying it all this attention? Why am I giving so much of my time and my energy listening to it and hearing it and fighting with it? What a colossal waste of time when I have all this amazing stuff around me right now. So anyway, for since this breakdown, I've been feeling a little bit better. It's only been two days since that breakdown, but by the time this podcast goes out, it will be quite a long time, so I don't know how I'll be feeling when this actually comes into your ears. But as of right now, I feel better. Do I feel happy and amazing like I did in January? No, of course not. Like, I'm not satisfied in the body I have. But realistically, does my life evolve around my body and how I look and how I perceive myself to look? Absolutely not. There is so, so much more to life than what my brain is telling me. And that's something I kind of want to leave you with if I can leave you with anything. Like, I don't know. I'm sorry if this episode's been, like, me just talking about eating disorders. It is a difficult one to navigate for me just because I don't know how triggering it is for people listening. But what I'm really aiming to tell you all is that, number one, there's no sweet spot on anorexia or any eating disorder for that matter. 
there's no such thing as a sweet spot because every time you think you're in a sweet spot, you're secretly spiraling down. You're, it's just a matter of time before it gets out of control. No matter how much you think you're in a sweet spot, you're not. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. So don't even go there. What's the point? Why, why, why are you wasting your life? Why are you wasting, not even your life, why are you wasting your time and energy for some momentary happiness when it's all just going to crash down and slap you in the face? So that's point number one. Point number two, view your life holistically. View your life from a third perspective and look at all the great things in your life. Even if you think there aren't great things in your life, find the greatness out of the crap. Do you know what I mean? Find the silver linings. And if there's like one thing, if your life's majority great and there's a little thing in your life that's getting you down or there's something in your life that's getting you down, you'll see how tiny it is in comparison to the big scheme of things. You know, sometimes it takes just a little bit of perspective to really snap you back. Like for me, when I'm panicking about eating a stupid biscuit, I'm like, okay, but I'm not doing this. Okay, even if I'm not doing it for me right now, I'm doing it for everything else in my life. I'm doing it for the BBC. I'm doing it for my job with cams. I'm doing it for my energy and social interactions with my friends. I'm doing it for the future me so that I won't get in this place again. Or if I do, I'll be able to manage it better. Try and think of doing things for your future self and maybe that might make a difference. I don't know. That's what's mm, keeping me on my feet right now. So, and on those, on those merry, merry terms, <laughs> guys, why do I feel like the podcast is just, it's just me being a sad little bean sometimes, isn't it? It's just me, like, complaining about every minor issue in my life when people actually have real shit going on. <sighs> but hey, it's, it's honest. Life isn't easy. Um, and on that note, that's, that really does bring me to the end of today's episode. I'm so so apologetic if this was really boring it's just a little update to catch you up to speed on where I've been um but I hope everyone's had a good couple weeks and hope you have a good couple weeks again till I talk and ramble your ears off yeah we'll speak soon bye